Hey, um, I'm Matt, pastor here at Midtown West. We're glad you're here with us. We are uh, in this series this summer called uh, The Summer of Love. We're going through the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs, which is like the greatest song ever written. And uh, the reason it's the greatest is because really the subject matter. The subject matter is covenant love, uh, yes, between a man and a woman in marriage, but also more than that, covenant love between God and his people. And so as we've been walking through this, this song this summer, we come to a passage toward the end here in chapter eight that is, uh, we're calling this week, Love and Discipleship. And as I was thinking about this week, we'll, we'll get into it more uh, in a second here, but I was thinking about um, just the voices that we listen to and, and how do we know how to live and who do we listen to and who do we get advice from in all these different areas of life. And uh, I was thinking about how now we, we kind of live in a, a culture with no experts or like the flip of that is everybody's an expert and uh, everybody has an opinion on everything. And I was thinking about Bo Burnham's uh, Netflix special from the pandemic, <laughs> if you all have seen that, and uh, where he is like this, um, uh, is like, you know, working in advertising and marketing. And he says, uh, you know, now we at Wheat Thins, we don't want you to just eat Wheat Thins. We want you to partner with us against Lyme disease. <laughs> and just like this hilarious but true picture of kind of where we are now. And so I was thinking about this passage. Um, I think Caroline Slimp, are you reading for us this morning? If you'll come on up. Just thinking about, um, man, there's so much. We, we are so permeable. We are so susceptible. We're so open. We're so vulnerable to um, all these different influences. And we have all these questions about how are we to live and how do we find the good life um, and I, I was just thinking about, uh, all of this and kind of looking back and I found this New York times article from the year 2000 talking about the internet and how everybody now can be an expert. And this quote just really, um, got me. Uh, it says anybody can be an expert now, at least on the things that they have personally experienced said Paul Resnick, a professor at the university of Michigan school of information. The result is, quote, a democratization of expertise. But he added that it was more important than ever to be wary. Just because someone says something doesn't mean it's true, he said. So he just said, uh, now everybody can be an expert on the things that they've personally experienced, but you also should not listen to them because they may not be right. And so let that hit for a second. There you go. Okay. Um, so as Caroline reads this passage, this is, uh, these are older brothers who have, uh, older brothers and sisters maybe, that, that, that have kind of witnessed this love unfold. And they say, we have a little sister and we want this for her. How can we come alongside her? So uh, this is Song of Songs 8, 8 through 12. Okay, Song of Solomon 8, 8 through 12. We have a little sister and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. I was a wall and my rests were like towers. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. Solomon has a vineyard in at Baal Haman. He, lets, he let out the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruits a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, may have the thousand, and the keepers of the fruit, two hundred. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks, Caroline. Father, as we come into your presence this morning, we are, we are here because you've drawn us. You've called us because you are the maker of everything and you are the creator of every single one of us. And you have us here for your purposes and your word is true and it goes forth into all the world and it, it achieves the purpose for which you sent it. It's like the rain, you say, that it, it falls and waters the earth and bears fruit. And so we ask now that you would bear fruit in our souls. You'd bear fruit in our lives and that it would fruit out into every aspect of our lives. Lord, our relationships, our work, um, everything that you've given us to do. Lord, that we would know your love. We would know intimacy with you. We would know union with you more and more through how you are meeting us in this passage, but also in this entire experience this morning. Uh, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... Um, Again, this, this whole concept of like, we can all be experts. It's, it's like that this truth is now very slippery and that truth is, is whatever I de- decide it is, unless it isn't, unless I'm wrong and then whoops. And now we don't know. And everybody's, you know, it's not that there have never been ulterior motives for sharing information. It's just that now it's, we've sort of pulled the curtain back and now everyone's ulterior motives are exposed much more than they were in the past. And they're saying, I'm not just trying to tell you what I'm telling you. I'm trying to tell you what I'm telling you to influence you and to change the way that you think about these other things. And so if you think about the word disciple as means learner. So it's this idea that we are following somebody. We're following a group of somebodies. We're we are following because we are trying to figure out how to live. And, and so we have to decide who are we apprenticing? Who are we following? And so in this passage, we start with, you know, in the context of this overall, this, this whole song, we've been seeing how this covenant love has transformed this woman's life. And she is, she is we, we've kind of watched as her identity has been shaped and reshaped. We've watched how she has heard that she is the beloved, she is the chosen one, and how that has impacted the way that she sees herself, the way that she sees the world, the way that she's able to live in the world, um, that this is the very thing for which she was created. And just like every week, this week, we're going to pretty fluidly move between this relationship, between uh, talking about covenant love between these two people in this passage, uh, the, the man and the woman, but also between Jesus and his people. And so uh, we start with this, this first concern and question from these people who are onlookers. They've seen the fruit of covenant love, and now they say, hey, we have a little sister. And, and the saying, I mean, that's a weird way to put it. We don't talk like that anymore. But uh, the fact that she doesn't have breasts just means that she's still a child. Um, she's not ready for this kind of covenant love yet. But we've seen the effects of this love. And we want this for her. And so what can we do now? What can we do between today and the day that she will be spoken for in marriage to help her get to this place, to prepare her for this kind of covenant love that transforms and gives life? And it's this, this beautiful concern uh, of, these, of these older siblings. They've seen this fruit. They want this for her. And this really helps us maybe redefine the way that we think about discipleship in the context of following Jesus. You know, for a lot of us, uh, maybe that word has connotations of just learning information. It's kind of this objective truth-finding process where we just need to know Scripture more, and there's not really much of a relationship as, as part of this process. But the way this question is framed in the context of talking about covenant love, like, this is everything, 
You know, we, were, we weren't just made to know what is true and to give a thumbs up and to say, yeah, yeah, that's truth. Okay, I agree with that. And I want to be right and I want to be on the right track. That's not what it is to, that's not what we were created for. We were created for intimate union with the God of the universe through Jesus. We were made to be his wife, his collective bride, and he be our husband and he be the lover of our souls. And so in this context, when we think about discipleship, Discipleship is about loving people enough to prepare them for this kind of relationship. It's me tasting and experiencing this kind of covenant love with Jesus, being transformed by his love for me, enjoying his love for me, enjoying my just being with him. And then what naturally will flow out of that is I will begin to want that for you. Because it's changed me, it's shaped me, it's formed me. So I will want this for you. And so now that leads us asking this question, hey, I want this for these other people in my life. How can I be an agent? How can I be a vessel to to make this happen, to prepare people and get them ready for this kind of love relationship with Jesus? And this is what Jesus is talking about, this, you know, experiencing him and then pouring back out and, and helping prepare people for that kind of love with him. I mean, he says it all through, I mean, we'll just look at the gospel of John, John 13. He says, um, I want you, my disciples to wash other people's feet, wash each other's feet as I've washed your feet. And in John 15, as I've, I've loved you, I want you to go and, and love other people by laying your lives down for them. And John 21, where he's restoring Peter, um, he says to Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, you know I love you. He says, okay, then feed my sheep. There's this deep interconnectedness between the way that we engage with other people and the love that we've experienced with Jesus. That's the great commandment is love. Jesus said you can't separate them. It's loving God with everything that you have and everything that you are and then turning around and through that and in that loving other people as yourself or loving other people is the way that I've loved you. And the Great Commission, the last thing he tells his disciples before he ascends uh, in Matthew is go and make disciples. Go and prepare people for this covenant love with me. That's how I want you thinking about your relationships with other people. And so in this question of discipleship that these older siblings ask, there's, there's three things implicit in this question. There's three statements or three truths, if you will, that are implicit here. Um, when they say... What shall we do for our sister on the day that she's spoken for? Uh, The first implied truth is that she doesn't know. She doesn't know how to get there herself. She is too young. Her, Her mind is not to this place where she can make all these decisions for herself. She needs help. She needs people in her life to guide her and lead her and shepherd her into what it is to have abundant life, to have this good life, which is this covenant love with God, um, and even in the context of, of human marriage, to have this life-giving covenant love with a man in marriage. And so that, you know, just asking in the context of everything that's going on right now in the world, um, what should a child be able to choose for themselves? And at what ages? And, and, you know, is it what to watch and what to listen to and where to attend school and when to be sexually active and how to express their sexuality and even what gender to be? It's, you know, the, we live in a world where people act like everything is all neutral and that everybody's ready at any moment to make these life-altering decisions. But, but what these people know is, no, no, no. 
there's an age at which we were made to be led. We were made to be shepherded. We were made to be discipled. We were made to be protected and guarded and shepherded into uh, this life that we're not ready for yet. The second thing that's implicit in this question is they say, what shall we do is that they don't know. They don't have all the answers. They're like, we, we want this for her and we want to be agents of this for her, but we don't know how to do it. Will you help us? Will you teach us? Will you show us? And of course, that's um, a question we should be asking in humility is, is how do we do this? How do we love other people with this love that we've been given? Uh, and then the third implication of this question is uh, that there is work to be done, that there is something for them to do. It, it's, it's not just wanting this for her, but there's an activity, there's a movement in her life. Like it's going to require them to give of themselves. They need to be active in her life. Why? Because there are enemies within. There are voices within their little sister who would lie to her and tell her what is not true. And there are voices without. There are enemies without who are lying to their little sister and trying to lead her astray away from this covenant love that she was made for. And all of this, just this fragility um, is summed up really well by uh, Dorothy Sayers, who is an author and a thinker, a uh, Christian thinker generation ago. And she was talking, it, this was a, a speech that she gave in the context of, of what it is to have education and how do we think about education. And she says this, for we let our young men and women go out unarmed in a day when armor was never so necessary. By teaching them all to read, we have left them at the mercy of the printed word. By the invention of film and radio, and now more, uh, we have made certain that no aversion to reading will secure them from the incessant battery of words, words, words. They do not know what the words mean. They do not know how to ward them off or blunt their edge or fling them back. They are prey to words in their emotions instead of being the masters of them in their intellects. So if that was true back then, <laughs> then I'm, I'm seeing a lot of confused faces. So let me just break it down a little bit. What she's saying here is that um, we are at the mercy of words. Everyone everywhere is, is conveying messages to us. And if we don't know how to discern and tell them apart from each other and to not just take them at face value, we're being swept up in the current of a, a stream that we don't really want to be in. You know, we don't live in a world that is neutral. We live in a world where there is truth and there is untruth. And there, there are voices that are actively trying to disseminate untruth. And there are voices that are disseminating untruth. And maybe they don't know that they're doing it. But as we swim in the sea of words, 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 messages everywhere, um, how will we navigate the currents of this sea of words? And so if that was true when Dorothy Sayers originally said this, how much more so today? How many loud, pervasive, persuasive voices are constantly speaking, influencing, and shaping? And the thing that we have to remember is it's not just about literal children um, in this passage that's being spoken about. It's, it's the fact that we are all, Jesus calls us all little children. We are all little children. We are all still in need of discipleship. We are all still in need of people coming around us and helping us navigate this life to lead us into this deeper covenant union with our Jesus. We are all impressionable, all susceptible, all vulnerable. We are all little children.
And so then uh, in verse 9, these siblings talk about how they are going to navigate uh, loving their sister and preparing her for this covenant love. And they kind of give like, if this or if that. First, they say, um, if she's a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. So think about uh, the wall surrounding a garden, the wall surrounding like literally the vineyard of her sexuality. And if she is a wall where she is protecting herself and she is prone to keep people out, then that's good. And we're going we're gonna to respond in one way to that. Um, but also think about in, in our relationship with Jesus, that wall being the wall around the temple. Now, not too long ago, we went through the book of Nehemiah and like the wall and the, the temple were all broken down and raised to the ground when Jerusalem was attacked. And they went back and they rebuilt it. And they said, if we don't rebuild this wall, it won't matter what we rebuild inside it because we'll always be vulnerable to attack. And so they're saying, if our sister is a wall, if she is predisposed to keep out those who do not need to be in, then we will respond by building on her battlements. Battlements are like those towers with the slots that archers can shoot through. We will build battlements of silver on her. So it's this picture of we will, we will continue to strengthen her in her defenses, but we'll do so in a way that adds beauty. Their battlement, like who's ever heard of a, a tower made out of silver like that? So they're saying we will build uh, these beautiful towers on her so that she will be uh, strong, but she will also be lovely. And, and we will show her how to express her sexuality in a beautiful and good way. And that's a tough line to walk, is being uh, appropriately defensive, but also still attractive. And remember, those walls have gates. They're, there's somebody that needs to be able to come in to that wall. It's just you have to be very careful and selective on who that is and when that is. And then they say, if she's more like a door or a gate in the wall, if she's more prone to let everybody in, then that's going to change how we approach her. That's going to change how we disciple her. We're not going to be adding silver. <laughs> we're not going to be making her more attractive because she doesn't yet know how to keep people out. What we're going to do is that word enclose means not to board her up, but to secure her. We're going to secure her and strengthen her. We're going to meet her where she is. We're going to meet her the needs that she has, and we're going to strengthen her. And so I have to ask like this practical question, if this is for us to do in the context of um, kid town and youth and our own families, for those of us that have children, but even larger degree, like in this space, in this community where we are all brothers and sisters, we all have little brothers and little sisters in this room. How do we do this? How do we help each other move toward this kind of covenant love? How do we prepare each other for this kind of covenant love with Jesus? How do we do that? The things that are going to be present in those relationships and in that intentionality are going to be, one, ourselves, giving ourselves the word to hear what the Lord says and what is true. And then, the, of course, the power of the Spirit, that it's not in our own power that we do this. Um, but it's you know, people, God's people, God's word, and the, God's Spirit. Those are the things that are necessary in growing in Christ. And then what are the things that we share? What are the things that we, the truths that we communicate that are important here? Um, somebody's value, their dignity of being made in God's image, a healthy expression of the gift of sexuality and the gift that is covenant love, the ultimate desirability and love and goodness of God. 
Warning against the schemes of the enemy and against the world. Warnings about our own feelings and our own flesh. They're not always to be trusted. And then encouragement and hope and how to long for what is to come. How to wait well in the context of community. How to encourage one another in this context. You know, that's a lot. And we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, That's why we have these avenues um, in, in Midtown of kid town and youth and groups and these ways that we've sort of created to connect people to one another in these relationships that are kind of launching paths so that we're not all out there trying to reinvent the wheel, but we're just following Jesus in this community. And so these, these older siblings are, are asking this question. They're talking about what they're going to do. And then the woman who is our, our primary speaker of this song, she speaks up and she says, um, I was a wall. She said, I lived this way. I I lived um, the right way. I lived in this way, and now in my beloved's eyes, I'm one who brings peace. Because, like, my approach to sexuality has been this way. I am one who brings out peace. I'm one who brings out soundness and welfare and tranquility in this relationship with my beloved now. And so she's testifying and saying, this is good. This is a worthy use of your time and your life to build into your little brothers and sisters because it makes a difference. I am someone who has, has lived this way and it is a deep, deep blessing to me and to my beloved. And she says in summary here, the last two verses of this passage, she kind of tells this story. Solomon has a vineyard at Baal Haman, and he let out his vineyard to keepers. Everyone brings for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver, and then they get to keep 200 pieces of silver because they work the land. But then she says, in contrast to that, my vineyard, like my sexuality, is my very own. If you want to think about it in terms of us and Jesus, like our sexuality, but also our soul, the garden of our soul, it is, it is mine, it is my very own, it's always before me. So if a king has this huge Uh, productive vineyard, it is appropriate for him to hire workers and make it commercial because the king has other things that he's called to do. He is not the one who's primarily tending the vineyard. That wouldn't make any sense and he wouldn't be able to do it by himself. It's good for him to hire a bunch of vineyard laborers. It's good for him to hire these people, these keepers of the vineyard, and they will, for a price, help cultivate the fruit of the vineyard and they will give the majority of that to the king and then they will keep some for themselves and they will get paid a little bit. And she said, that is entirely appropriate. But my vineyard, your vineyard, does not operate like that. In this commercial vineyard, these people come in and they maintain your vineyard for you and they take your fruit for themselves. And our vineyard is not to operate like that. The vineyard of our souls, the vineyard of our sexuality is not transactional and it's not commercial. No matter how you have been abused in the past, no matter how you have been hurt in the past, maybe because of that it's easier to function that way. She's saying that is not what we were made for, and that will destroy us. 
There is no one else besides the lover of your soul who is to come in and be a maintainer of your vineyard, who is to come in and tell you how to express your sexuality and who to give it to and what that looks like. Only the lover of your soul, only the true keeper of your vineyard is to do that. So then that leaves us with this question in our hearts. What if I have treated my vineyard as a commercial vineyard? What if I have been a gate and not a wall? What if I have let the world in? What if I have let in many people and many voices and have given away my own vineyard to be maintained by somebody else? What hope is there for me? And there's good news. You have an older brother. You know, like this, this little girl that is being talked about in this passage who has these older siblings who care about her, who want to prepare her for covenant love. You have an older brother. And his name is Jesus. And not only does he have a concern for you and for your vineyard, but he has the wisdom to lead you And he also has the power to do something about it. No matter where you are, no matter what you have done up until this point, it does not matter. You are not disqualified because your elder brother has the power to reverse death. Your elder brother has the power to take the stain of sin away completely and separate it from you as far as the east is from the west. Listen to this, Romans 8, 29 through 30. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus, in order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those who he called, he also justified through Jesus on the cross, taking your sin, your shame from you forever, going down into the blackest depths of hell, being filled with all of the the darkness and the sickness and the disease and the, just the pollution of, that is the fruit of us opening our gates and letting everybody into our vineyard. He has taken that all into himself and has been crushed for our iniquity. And we have been justified in, in his place. And it says, those whom he justified, he also glorified. So we don't have to worry about the end. Even if you still find yourself running back and opening the gate over and over and over again, if you are in Christ, there is nothing that can separate you from him. And there's nothing that can keep you from what he is doing, what he is ultimately doing, what he has done and is doing and will finally do, which is this. What he is doing in justifying us, cleansing us, and glorifying us is rebuilding our broken down walls. If we are a city and we've been raised to the ground by our sin, by what's been done to us and what we have chosen to do and take part in, he is rebuilding us. He is rebuilding a new city. He has the power to do that. And he's not just doing that individually. He is doing that in all of us. He is making us a new city. Listen to this in Ezekiel 36. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all of your iniquities, That day was the cross. So if you are in Christ, you have been cleansed from all of your iniquities, past, present, and future. I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places shall be rebuilt. 
If your wall has fallen down, we'll rebuild it. And people will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. This life, this soul, this sexuality that has become desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. It has been restored to even better than what it was before it's been lost. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. They are now strengthened. Your elder brother is at work strengthening and securing and building you up and making you beautiful and you are inhabited because he dwells within you. Then the nations, then everybody else in your life that sees, everyone that's left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it. Period. He is building for himself out of all of us together, new Jerusalem. And listen to what it says in Revelation 21 about new Jerusalem. I saw the holy city. This is John seeing this vision of what's to come. I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem. That's us coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God forever. In other words, Jesus is at work making a new city out of you and making a new city out of us together to be his bride, preparing for us the day when he will wipe away every tear and it is the wedding day to end all wedding days, the wedding celebration, the wedding feast to end all wedding feasts where we will be united with him in perfection for eternity with nothing to separate. No one trying to tear down the walls. No one trying to get in through the gates who doesn't belong there to be with him forever. And guess what? Nothing, nothing can stop that. For those of us who are in Christ, nothing can stop him from doing that. Not your weakness, not your sin, not the people around you who would seek to make you a victim, who would seek to use you for their own ends. No one can get in the way of that. That is your future in Christ. And this love, this rebuilding is the power and the strength and the hope and the courage that we need to be older brothers and sisters ourselves, building into little brothers and sisters through the word, through our lives, our love, through the Holy Spirit. And our building does not have to be perfect because there is a master builder who is building in us and through us. And he will see his masterpiece perfected. And so now we get to go out. It is a privilege, it is a joy, it is an honor to go out and be building and preparing and caring for and loving the people that God's put in our lives because we want this for them. And you are going to be building into me because you want this for me. And I'm going to be building into you because I want this for you. Because this is everything. Because there's nothing else. This union with the lover of your soul. This is everything. Jesus. Thank you that you are both our elder brother who fights for us, who defends us, who protects for us, who watches out for us. 
and you are also our husband. You are doing all that to prepare us, not for some stranger, but for yourself. You are deeply invested in us in every way imaginable beyond our imagination because you love us. Your desire is for us and we are yours. Please, as you continue to love us, teach us how to love one another and how to lead one another to you and to this love that our hearts were made for, that we will be completely restless until we rest in you. And now as we, as we go to the table, Lord, I pray that you would uh, meet us, speak to us, lead us, open us to you in a new way to enjoy this love that we have with you. In Jesus' name, amen.